This is Less Doing podcast number 72, Ryan Holiday, author of The Obstacle is the Way. So, hi everyone and uh, hi Felix. Hi, how you doing? Good. So yeah, this week I uh, had an awesome interview with Ryan Holiday, who I then ended up actually meeting in person at that thing I went to in Toronto. So uh, Ryan wrote The Obstacles of the Way. He also wrote uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying, and he is the director of marketing for American Apparel. Really amazing guy. Yeah, cool. So uh, I, I think everyone's going to like that interview once we get through some interesting links for this week. Let's start off with a review. Okay. Brian Sprouse writes, Ari, the principles of your book, and the info shared on your podcast are the most valuable and actionable I've applied in a long time. Thanks. Awesome. Cool. Straight to the point. Nice five-star review. Thank you, Brian. And uh, of course, as always, if you hear that review, hear your review, and you get in touch with us through lessdoing.com, then you will get your free Less Doing t-shirt, courtesy of our friends at Zazzle. So thanks again, Brian. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Okay. So um, should we go to the questions? Absolutely. Okay, so um, we now have um, set up on the on the website. Do you want to tell us what it is, Ari? Again, yeah. So we're using this awesome site called uh, or the service called SpeakPipe, and now basically, you know, before people could submit their questions either in a blog post comment or by going to the Less Doing Facebook page, but now you can go to lessdoing.com and go to the contact page, and you can submit your question to the podcast by voice. You can record it right through the computer, and you can tell us exactly what you want in your own words, and then we'll play it here, and I think it just will flow a lot better. People get to hear it from the person who asked it, and uh, I'm really excited about this. So it's it's a cool way for me to receive the questions, and I think that I get a little bit more color about what people are looking for this way, so I can give you a better answer. Cool. <clears throat> so, okay, so here is um, Alicia's question, right? Hi there. I was wondering if you knew of an online tool that um, can display different productivity softwares in one screen, integrate them all into one um, tool, kind of like Hootsuite does for social media feeds. Yeah, cool. So that's a, it's a great question. And there are so many different services now and so many different metrics and numbers to keep track of all this stuff. So as far as keeping track of all the different softwares, and, and by the way, Hootsuite is a pretty good one for social media. I like uh, TweetDeck, but uh, that's not what the question's about. The question's about the other software. So there's two things that I would recommend. One is free and one you have to pay a little bit for. So the first one actually is called Numerous, and it's an uh, iPhone app. And basically, it has multiple integrations, including integrations directly with IFTTT and Zapier. And it has a whole bunch of built-in things too. So <coughs> besides, besides the regular sort of um, you know, almost mundane stuff, like you could have weather in different cities and countdowns to a certain date, uh, maybe the release of a book or the release of a podcast or the release of a movie if you want, uh, stocks, Basically, it's just a board of numbers. Wow. But using using IFTTT and Zapier, you can have it show you uh, how many Twitter followers you have or how many emails you have in your inbox or how many uh, LinkedIn connections you have or mentions you got on Twitter. Wow. Or, you, could you connect it to like Bitly and see how many clicks you've got on something? 
Exactly. That's that very is cool. One of, that's one of the most common. Rec- that's one of the more common integrations. Yeah, it is really cool. You can also connect it with things like um, with, we can have with Flickr, so you can see maybe the latest photo or how many things have been commented on Instagram. Very cool. Uh, yeah, and even Mailchimp, so you can see like how many subscribers you're getting, Google Analytics, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, so Numerous is really good for that, very sort of straightforward, and it's an iPhone app. If you want to take it to sort of the next level, then there's something called Ducks Board. Uh, I don't know why they call it that, but it's like multiple Ducks Board, and obviously we'll have links to all this stuff in the oh. show notes. Yeah. But uh, Ducks Board is like 16 bucks a month, and there are 65 services that go into it, and it's not just iPhone-based. So I think one of the p- things that people might use the thing like Ducks Board for is they might have a screen up in an office so mm-hmm. that you know, everybody can kind of get an overview of what's going on with the various metrics in the company. Oh, okay. Yeah. Plus with, uh, with Ducksboard, you can do, yeah, like, so Numerous is just going to show you numbers uh, and there is, you know, small graphical elements to it, like a picture or something. But with Ducksboard, you can actually get graphs and charts and, and trending over time and, and a little more analytics overview. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, was that Alicia, right? So Alicia, thank you for that question. Yeah, thanks. So again, uh, you know, check out SpeakPipe or, you know, just check out the contact page on lessdoing.com and you will be able to submit your question by voice, just like Alicia did. So thank you, Alicia, for being the first one to do that. So, all right, there's a bunch of links this week that I want to go through and we're going to try to get through these a little more quickly than usual, I think, just so that I don't bore people with my my geekiness of this stuff. Uh, But I guess they wouldn't be bored if they were listening to the podcast. Anyway, uh, so there's a Kickstarter campaign. This one, this one is timely. So they uh, they have 47 hours to go. So I think by the time this podcast gets posted, you're going to have just a couple hours to get down on this. But of course, as with any Kickstarter project that is successful, which this one already is, you can obviously buy it afterwards. But if you want to get on the Kickstarter campaign, you're probably just going to have a few hours once this podcast comes out. So uh, it's called Hey Joe, and it's a coffee mug that allows you to brew coffee on the go. And it's it's really cool. It's basically uh, a, a sort of a large metal coffee mug that has a heating element in it. And these coffee pods, which you can put any coffee you want in them, but they, they have their own pods as well. So and, it's like a portable K-cup in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And yeah. it's, it's, it's handheld. So uh, oh. What I love about it, though, and you know th- that in alone is cool, but that that actually wouldn't have caught my my eye. <laughs> what I mm. think is so great is that it can cold brew. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. So I love cold brewed coffee, and one of the reasons is that cold brewed coffee is uh, something like six. I think it's seventy two percent less acidic than hot brewed coffee. Mm. Uh, it's much. It's just much smoother and really delicious, and it's it's sort of an elegant process in itself. So you have two op- you have three options. You can have it coffee at 140 degrees, which I think is, is fairly standard, or you can have it at 155 degrees, which I think your wife and my wife would probably like because they like really, really, really hot coffee. Indeed. <laughs> um, and uh, and or you push it three times for the cold drip coffee, which I just I just think that that's amazing. So check out the the Hey Joe coffee mug if you want to brew your you know upgraded coffee beans, for instance, uh, while you're out and about. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. So the next thing is a uh, plugin, uh, an extension for Gmail called Reedy. And Re- there's all sorts of apps out there and plugins and extensions and things that make you that are supposed to help you speed read. And most of them work by showing you small amounts of text and moving along with it. And sometimes, uh, or are basically allowing you to focus on one piece of text at a time. Yeah. Reedy does this, but it actually shows you one word at a time. 
And what I like actually is that, first of all, you can use it on any page anywhere you are in Google Chrome. So you can use it on your email, you can use it on a, a blog article, whatever it might be. But it shows you one word at a time and it increases in speed every word. Huh. So it actually should improve your reading speed. And I tried it and you, you basically can get up to, I think it said something like 2,000 words per minute is possible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you think about that, 2,000 words per oh, minute. Oh, I've got it running right now. I installed the plugin. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you might think that that's crazy. And I, and I started at like 200 words per minute. And by the end of one article, I was effectively reading at 290 words per minute, which is which is great. And that's, you know, a almost a 50% increase in the reading speed that I had. But if you could read 2000 words in a minute, that's most long form articles. If oh, you think about cool. it, yeah. you know, when, when I write a blog post that I think is going to be long, like I, I'm shooting for a thousand words. So 2000 words in a minute is amazing. Wow. So that's the next cool. thing I want to talk about is there was this great post or this article that came out of a study in the October issue of the Canadian Journal of Behavioral Science. And basically it was about perfectionism versus productivity. And this huh. is something that I've, that I struggle with and I, and I've, or not struggle with, but I, I have to push back against this sometimes is that as bad as this may sound, sometimes when it comes to my writing and my, the, the content that I put out, I try to go for more quantity than quality. And I don't mean to put out bad quality, but what, I, what it means is that sometimes I'm not going to take the time to go back and edit and rethink and wait two weeks before I post something. To me, sometimes it's more important to get the information out. Mm -hmm. And that's actually sort of the concept behind my human autoresponder idea where virtual assistants can respond to some of my emails with responses that they craft based on information that I provide. And what I say when they send those emails to people is that it's not that I don't have the time to, or the interest in writing back to people. It's just that if they can get a response faster from a virtual assistant, I'd rather they have the information quicker than having to wait, even if it's two hours. Yeah. To get it from me. Yeah, these days, just responding to people is just the speed of response is everything, I find. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 especially if you're just looking for information. You know, it, 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 I, I feel like, I, of course, this is not in every situation, but gone are the days when, you know, a personal response or, or not getting a personal response was insulting. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, not, it's right, not, it's right. not like that anymore. Now yeah. you, people just want to know. They want to know right now, you know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, basically, That's this cool. was saying that uh, professors doing research who, who were striving for perfectionism essentially were really crippling their productivity. So um, oh, it was okay. just kind of a cool study. Yeah. Um, so then there's a, a article on Barking Up the Wrong Tree, which is a, a website I refer to all the time. And I, I love this because Eric Barker just comes up with these great – he reads basically just reads studies all day and comes up with all the – pretty much the bullet points – but uh, this was the eight things the happiest people do every day. And, uh, of course, there was like a, a healthy amount of Buddhism in here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to give you all eight. But one of them that I liked was that it said that they make physical exercise a weekly or even daily habit. So, Felix, you and I work out once a week. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so we're, if we're fulfilling that. that. I, mean. I, I, can, I can say, I mean, I'm an extremely optimistic person and... Um, you know, pretty happy guy. And um, yeah, I pretty much uh, practice all of those. So, and if it weren't for our workout, I wouldn't be able to include that one. So, yeah. Exactly. So we're, we're completing it. <laughs> uh, but uh, what they said is that 
also, and this is the eighth one, which I like too, is that it said the happiest people do have their share of stresses, crises, and even tragedies. They may become just as distressed and emotional in such circumstances as you or I, but their secret weapon is the poise and strength they show in coping in the face of challenge. Absolutely. So yeah. it really is. It's not how you, how you get knocked down, but really how you get back up. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, okay, so then there's a couple offers that I want to tell people about, a couple just announcements, and then a, a couple other uh, uh, experiments, actually, I want to tell you about. So the, the first one is that our, my good friends over at Rich Food, Poor Food, Mira and Jason Calton, the makers of the multivitamin that I recommend, Nutrients, uh, have a special offer for their podcasting friends. And they are offering the a free copy of Rich Food Poor Food. So you Rich Food, and you just go to the link that we're going to have in the show notes. But Rich Food Poor Food is that what they call your GPS to the grocery store, and it's an amazing book. Honestly, you literally can take this aisle by aisle to your local grocery store, and it will show you the really good brands and the really bad brands and oh, why. Really, wow. Yeah, and it, and the thing is, it's not like everything from eggs to hot dogs and ketchup. Oh, I'd love It'll to show, see that. Yeah. yeah, so it's a really great book, and uh, I, I have a couple copies here actually. So I, I will I will show you, Felix. But this is a really great offer because it's a I think it's a twenty five dollar book, and it actually has some bonus offers in the book itself and some coupons and stuff. So you can get the book for free. Yeah. by going to this offer through the end of July. Awesome. Yeah, so it's it's awesome, um, and then there also I just want to point out that uh, I think that we're going to be releasing these podcasts regularly on thursdays now right felix thursdays if not before i mean i'll generally try and upload it wednesday but you know we want you to be able to have it for your drive home on thursday evenings yes okay so and that's and right which is going to be our goal but uh you should if you're not subscribed to the podcast we need to change that right now you need to go to itunes and subscribe to the podcast because you will get it at least a day and sometimes up to three days before it is posted on the blog. If you are subscribed to the podcast, you'll get it in your podcast reader quicker. Uh, so if you see this on Thursday, then the day after, you're going to be able to catch me on the Art of Charm podcast. And that's Jordan Harbinger's podcast about uh, basically how people can be better men and better in life and work and play. And I was on his podcast about a month ago. It was an awesome interview. He's a really, really cool guy. And that podcast is supposed to be released on Friday morning. Wow, so, I better tune uh, into that. Yeah, just in time for July 4th weekend, you'll be able to catch me on the Art of Charm podcast. Cool. Yeah, so there's uh, three more things uh, that I just wanted to tell you people about. One of which is not a recommendation. It's just a kind of crazy thing is that Progenics, which is a supplement maker, has come out with a salmon protein. Okay. Let that sink in. Yes. Okay. So instead of a whey protein or a collagen protein, you can now put powdered salmon protein directly into your drinks and your protein shakes. Oh. And that is totally gross. <laughs> I mean, does it taste like that or does it just taste like any sort of powder? This is what, um, this is my guess. I'm guessing that they're going to say it does not taste like salmon and that it tastes completely like salmon. <laughs> oh, right. Right. Now, I love salmon. And I would tell you, I would think you'd be better off putting a piece of salmon in your blender than using a powdered salmon protein. Not to oh, mention I the see. fact, oh, not to I mention see. the fact yeah. that if you're taking 
Sam, if you're taking a protein shake, you're usually doing it for uh, mu- muscle rebuilding and stuff like that. And they, there are plenty of studies showing that salmon protein uh, hydrolysate, I think is what I was pronounced, uh, can help with, uh, with obesity and, sh- and blood sugar levels and all that stuff. But you're really better off eating the fish itself, I would think. So uh, whey protein is still a, a much more bioavailable source of protein if you're going to use uh, a protein supplement at all. But uh, there's just something to me that feels like too much futuring of food in a way to have salmon powder put into a drink. Wow. Well, maybe we will see. Maybe, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm interested to see to see how this how this plays out. Yeah. Well, so every time that uh, Felix and our friends come over to work out, I usually have some sample of something that a company has sent me to try out, and I usually give it to Felix and and our friends to to check out. But don't worry, Felix, I don't have salmon protein <laughs> sitting at my desk tonight. So great. Well. Wow. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, so so enough of that. Uh, there also, I I've been testing out the Bedit. So the bedded is that sleep tracker that I've talked about a little bit before, but I finally got to use it for the last week. And it's by far the most incredible sleep tracking device I've ever used. And I've used a lot of them. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, yeah. So you don't have to wear anything. <clears throat> it goes on your mattress. It sticks on your mattress and you just lie on top of it over the sheet and it gets your, how long it takes you to fall asleep. It sees if you wake up and get out of bed or all in the middle of the night. It actually can get your heart rate and breathing rate, oh, wow. which, is, which is incredible, yeah. And using the iPhone microphone, it'll tell you if and how long you snored for. Huh. So, of course, the first night I used this, we had a, a, something went crazy, obviously, with the kids' schedules, and I got two hours and 47 minutes of sleep. Oh, wow. So, that's official. That's great. Oh, yeah. You can say, no, oh, yeah. no, I got less sleep than you. Yeah. Yes. So, I'm allowed <laughs> exactly. to be grouchy today. Yeah. Exactly. Right. We would ne- we would never say that though. But yes. Right. <laughs> uh, so the bed the bed it is great, uh, and I highly highly recommend it if you want to do any kind of serious sleep tracking. It's without question the most amazing one I've ever worked with. So I, I really do recommend that. Uh, uh, yeah. So anyway, we'll we'll get to the interview now. Uh, Ryan was uh, it was awesome talking to Ryan. And uh, as as I as we said before. Submit your questions through the lessdoing.com contact page from now on. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. Give us some feedback. It's, uh, it's just getting better and better. So thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Now I'm speaking with Ryan Holiday, who is the author of The Obstacle is the Way, among many other things. So first of all, Ryan, thank you for talking to me. Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, so... I want to talk about a bunch of things, but and I guess maybe we'll work sort of backwards. Let's start with the book. So The Obstacle is the Way is in a lot of ways about stoicism and overcoming challenges, obviously. So what was sort of the genesis for the book? Yeah, so the, the genesis is a, a single passage inside the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, which I think is sort of this totally unique historical document. You have the most powerful man in the world sitting down every night and writing these sort of notes to himself about how to deal with the responsibilities and the burdens of his position. Um, and that struck me very early on in my life. I think I was 19, 18, 19 years old when I first read it. And then as I've, you know, as I've, as I've been successful in life and as I've read and experienced things, I sort of kept coming back to this idea about how the problems that we face, although not inside our control, our responses to those things very much is. And 
sort of developed a framework around that concept. Okay. So first of all, can you tell me a situation where you actually had trouble applying stoicism? I mean, I think everyone has trouble applying stoicism every second of every day. That's that's sort of why it's a philosophy. If it yeah. was easy and natural, I don't think it would it would require being written down. But you know, like uh, one of the stories I tell in the book is is this story of of Thomas Edison. His factory burns down, and he responds by like he's like, oh, he's like enjoying the scene. He's like he he tells his son to go get his wife because they're never going to see a fire like this again. And then, you know, like in our lives, like, you know, my computer crashes or I lose something I'm working on. Like, I get so angry that I, you know, like I want to throw things or I kick a trash can. You know, like you get that. That's not how we respond. That's a very right. sort of unnatural response. It's the right response, but it's it's something that requires a lot of training and practice. So uh, stoicism, I think, is something that it's a set of reminders or exercises that build those muscles that allow you to respond properly in difficult, trying situations. Okay, so obviously, and one of the things I want to talk about is, is your reading habit. Um, and obviously, yeah. you, you know, we have all the books behind you, and, and, and I'm going to get back to that. But for the first time in my life ever, I'm reading Around the World in 80 Days. And, yeah. I'm, and I keep thinking about Stoicism because Phileas Fogg keeps, you know, bad things keep happening and delays keep coming up and he doesn't react ever. And yeah. just sort of like moves through it. And it's kind of like a really interesting embodiment of it, if you ask me. Yeah, no, I think you you see stoicism very like in the Gilded Age or the Victorian Age, which is when that book was sort of written. You very much stoicism was going through a major resurgence at that time. And I think that was a result of it being a very exciting, but still unpredictable and quite difficult world. And as a lot of the inventions that were happening around those times have have been refined and perfected, we've started to confuse that, you know, systemic, uh, we started to confuse those institutions with certainty and with reliability. And, And I think you saw, like, the generation in that book was existing in a world where these things were luxuries, right? But they understood that the alternative was, like, riding around on a horse, right? So they were they were much less entitled. And I think you're, you're starting to see stoicism resurge again as income inequality, you know, widens, as, as, as people become more and more responsible for themselves. Stoicism is sort of a formula for an unpredictable world, which, you know, we've always lived in, but it can, it can ebb and flow as well. Well, okay. I like that, that it's, it's a formula for an unpredictable world. So, I mean, obviously, and you said this already, it's not, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, but how can you, how can you really train yourself to be more stoic without walking what I think is kind of a fine line of apathy in some cases, because you can, you can sort of just check out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the stoics have a word apatheia, which is where apathy comes from, but apathy doesn't mean not caring. It means not ruled by your passions, right? So it means you're sort of even keeled and centered. You're not getting delusionally happy and, you know, suicidally depressed over the things that happen to you. You care. You're just also able to practice a kind of indifference to how things shake up. If things go terribly, you're fine with that because you're going to make the most of it. If things go amazingly, you're fine with it because that's great, but you don't need it to live. And it's sort of practicing that centeredness 
and that ability to adapt to any event. It's sort of like a hedge fund, right? Like a hedge fund trader has to make money whether the market goes up or down. Right. And that's a much better way of looking at the world than needing the market to go up to be happy, right? Sure. Uh, right. Okay. So, I mean, the external factor is based or versus the internal. So Yeah, the, the Stoics sort of say indifference to all external events. And that, like, you know, Marx Aurelius is emperor. Seneca was one of the richest men in Rome. Um, they didn't not succeed or not care about success. It was just that success and failure were sort of external events, and they were sort of able to exist and thrive wherever they happen to be at that spectrum. Because we're always in a state of flux there. Sometimes things are going amazing. Sometimes things are going bad. Sometimes things are just even. But you've got to be able to be the same in all of those circumstances. Otherwise, you're just being jerked, you know, to and fro. Right. And but and now how do you feel like that sort of guides the goals and the way that you proceed in general? Because, it, you know, sometimes those events are supposed to happen and supposed to make you change course. And you're supposed to have sort of a re I mean, and I'm, I'm sort of referring to my own story, actually, yeah. too, about overcoming Crohn's, because I, I wouldn't do it any way differently. And I wouldn't be where I was now if I hadn't had this sort of traumatic experience in my life. Right. And I, I feel like I kind of had to go into a deep, dark place in order to be able to come out a better person. Sure, sure. I mean, I don't think it's about it, it's about dealing with the situation in front of you sort of pragmatically and honestly, right. which means you're not throwing yourself up against an impossible brick wall, but you're also not giving in because things are not ideal and they're not perfect. And so, you know, I think what you like Mark Cerealis was the emperor of Rome. Like he had a job that he had to show up and do every day. And it's probably <laughs> not a fun job. Like you look at Obama and you see how gray he got from day one yeah. to, you know, six years into his presidency. Now imagine, you know, sort of that. Ruling the world. <laughs> right, right. It, that would be quite a trying, difficult job. But it's it's about sort of understanding, like, look, this is the responsibility that I, that I took on. This is what I'm doing. This is what I this is what I owe the people and and sort of responding, you know, with with hard work, with dedication, with justice, with generosity, the sort of the stoic virtues. Right. Um, and I think we can we can all apply that to whatever it is that we're doing. I'm waking up and working on a book and, and you know, this working on a book. It's not fun. Like r writing can be a long, hard slog, but yeah. like you made a commitment, you're working on a project. How can you. How can you understand that one day it's going to come easy and feel awesome, the next day it's going to suck, and then maybe it might suck for a week, and then you understand that you're going to get your rhythm back and be able to sort of persevere through that rather than letting, you know, your understanding of the project and your dedication to it be dependent on how it happens to be going at an individual moment. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I feel like every parent should understand stoicism because, and actually I'm, I'm making a joke, but I'm being serious too, because like last week, everyone in my house basically had, was sick and right. had 103 fevers and stuff. And we actually had to fire our nanny because she wasn't really helping very much. And we, so I, and I, and when I was firing our nanny, I said to her, I was like, cause she, one of the things that was an issue was that she didn't like to be around the kids when they were sick. And I was like, sure. We're at, job. I was like, well, I also I said, you know, I, as a parent, I don't get to be sick. Like, yes, I have 103 fever. It doesn't matter. 
I, people like there are people whose lives depend on, you know, my wife and I not getting sick basically, or, or not slowing down at all. So it's, it's, it's particularly relevant. I feel like in this case, it's like you, you have a job to do. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if somebody hurts himself or if you have a good day or a bad day, like you, you have sort of a baseline. To- totally, totally. And, and I think that idea of like, look, I'm responsible for this. It's mine. And I own this. And I have to do a good job and there's no one else to sort of come save me is it is both an empowering and a somewhat intimidating idea. And people have to come to terms with that. And I think once you once you learn it, it's great. But I think, you know, it makes a lot of people wary because they'd rather someone else do everything for them. Sure. So uh, shifting a little bit, how, how do you yeah. find that this sort of plays into your productivity? Because you are clearly a very productive, productive person. You know, you're, you're head of marketing for American Apparel. You're writing a, a pretty varied kind of writing. I mean, you're, you, you have, you know, the Trust Me, I'm Lying is a completely different book, obviously, than, than The yeah. Obstacle is the Way. And you're writing for media. I mean, you, you, you put out yeah. very different kinds of pieces. So how are you? I mean, how does this play into your productivity? Yeah, so I, stoicism is a is you know I think a great operating system because it sort of it says like look things aren't going to be perfect but I've got this job to do and I'm going to do it and I'm not going to be distracted by things I'm not going to be uh, I'm not I'm going to and I'm going to do things for like the right reasons right mm-hmm. um, so for me stoicism I like when I look at other people who are not as productive as me and and I I go through periods where I'm very productive and not very productive. I usually, and I see this a lot with people that I, that I hire and work with, usually, you know, we, we, we all, like I, I quote Edison again in the book where he's like, you know, people think genius is like having a great idea and it's, it's really not. It's like you have a great idea, then difficulties arise and you have to go through those difficulties. And so part of the reason I wrote the book is I see in, in the millennial generation, in my generation, like people run into problems and then they just stop right? They don't do anything past that. It's like, hey, I tried it and then it was difficult. So I'm going to wait for it to not be difficult anymore. And that doesn't really happen. That's not how it works. And so I try to, I try to, and this is the recipe in the book, how can those difficulties help you in some way? So if I'm working on something and something happens, how can I learn from that experience? How can I write about that experience? How can I, you know, use this as a way to connect with other people who will help me down the road. Like how can you use everything that happens into some benefit? And so for me, it's like the way I've kind of set up my life is all the different things that I do feed into each other and make me more successful. And I I can channel those energies in a way that allows me to do more than one thing. Sure. And that, that, that makes total sense. Uh, so you do write a lot. So how, what is your sort of, your writing routine or your daily routine, actually, I guess. Yeah. So I write, I wake up early in the morning, like, you know, seven thirty, eight o'clock. And I try to write for like the first like hour or two hours of the day. Um, unless I'm taking a break from writing, which I'm sort of doing right now. Um, why, what, what brings that about? I'm just like a little exhausted. And I feel like if you force, if you force writing when you don't have something to say, you know, that can be problematic. So I've, I've been writing a lot and I, I'm, when I say I'm not writing, it's like I'm writing an article every other week instead of <laughs> something. So it's it's not like I've quit altogether. Um, but uh, and I've been traveling a lot, just sort of getting back my routine. But I usually write in the mornings. Uh, then I in the middle of the day I do emails, phone calls, stuff like that. 
Um, I do like heavy exercise in the afternoon and then I go back to work, uh, you know, evening. Then I eat dinner and usually just hang out with my fiance for the rest of the day. Okay. That's so you're, you're more of a, a start of the morning or start of the day kind of person then basically. Yeah. I mean, I think a, a lot of the research shows that like you're most productive in the morning one, because you sort of just started, but there's usually few, fewer interruptions in the morning. Um, so like, obviously you could work late at night, but I tend, I find that working at the end of the day means you're exhausted in some way. Um, so I, I like to sort of start fresh, get it done and out and then that way, the rest of the day, if like, like, let's say I'm working on something writing wise and I'm having trouble with it. If I'm working out later, I might have some sort of creative breakthrough now that I've put the problem that I was facing aside. And it sort of <clears throat> sort of lets you marinate on stuff the rest of the day. That, that's how I try to do it. Sure. And then how does the American Apparel stuff fit in? And sort of there in the middle, I, my, my phone calls, interviews, uh, you know, emails. I, I work remotely for American Apparel. Mm -hmm. So um, sort of as long as I'm handling this stuff, it doesn't really matter. Right. Okay. So, and how did you get to American Apparel? I mean, it, it, again, it's like everything that you do seems to be completely different from everything else in some way. I'm sure, I know that there's a, I'm sure a tying together weird, theme for you. But... Weird, but there's a thread through all of yeah. them. So one of my, one of my sort of first things is I was the the research assistant to Robert Green, who wrote the 48 Laws of Power. Yeah. Um, and so I worked for, for him for almost two years. And Mastery, um, a great book that I... Yeah, saw. yeah. And so I was lucky enough to work on that book while I was at American Apparel. But Robert is on the board of American Apparel. So I got introduced to oh. Doug, the, the founder, um, and I sort of came on as a marketing consultant. And I ended up sort of seeing a niche for myself. I built the marketing department there, like hired a team, sort of trained them, created the strategies... So then when I left for my book, I was sort of able to hand the most of the day-to-day -day stuff off to someone else. And then I'm just sort of there in a supervisory advisory role now. Okay, gotcha. All right, so let's talk about books a little bit because yeah. it's something that, that has been a very, very big struggle for me for a very long time. And I, I sort of finally figured out a system. But you read about 250 books a year, right? Uh, a lot. Yeah, I don't really count, but I, I try to read a lot of books. Uh, I try to always be reading, right? Like if if I'm going to the doctor, I get there 15 minutes early and I read, you know, like I I I carry a book with me. If I go out to eat, um, I have a book in the car. Like I when I travel, I read a lot. I've actually found like people think I'm and I, I am always reading, but like normally what happens is like I'll be reading like a book a week. But then I travel. So like I was in Australia last week and I think I read like four books or something. So like I tend to read in spurts. So I, I see it myself now more as like a binge reader than anything else, um, <laughs> which averages out to a lot of books right. rather than, you know, I'm reading a book a day or something like that. And I see I mean, I'm guessing based on behind you that you like physical books. Yeah, that's not even all of it. Like, if you go this way, it's... Yeah, it's, <laughs> I've seen pictures. Yeah, that's very, yeah. It's very cool. So, uh, yeah, f physical books for me, um, because, like, as a, like the way I learned to research from Robert is, like, I use note cards that I sort of write everything down on. And so I have boxes of note cards that I, that I keep this stuff. And so I take the physical books, I transfer it by hand to note cards and organize it. And then I use the note cards to go back to the books if I need to reference them. So having ebooks is is one like less tactile and uh, physical for me, like in terms of arrangement. 
And then two, um, I find that reading digitally, while it can be easier in a lot of ways, um, just highlighting something in a Kindle does not create that sort of place in your mind where you remember it deeply and, and it's there. Right. And that, so that's actually what I'm going to ask you about because, so, well, first of all, it's really fascinating to me that you're, you know, you're only five years younger than me, but it, I mean, I'm very big in technology. It's, it's, yeah. it's interesting to me that you do so much with paper and notebooks and writing this down. But it also, I've heard other interviews with you and it seems like you have incredible recall for the books that you've read and information yeah. from those books. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of a mix of how, like, you don't need to memorize something if you know where it is. Right. And then to creating a place for it as a process allows you to like, so when, when there's a quote, like I read it, I marked it down, then I wrote it down on a card, then I put that card in a place, and then I may have referred back to that card on one or more occasions. So I'm, I'm like bumping into that thing several times, rather than, again, just making some digital bookmark and then moving on. Right. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, for me is that I would, every time I, I heard about an interesting book or something, I would get it on the Kindle real quick or on my, right. uh, my iPhone app and I'd be like, great. And then I would, I, it's not like a shelf, you know, you never go and look yeah. at like, Oh, perusing the book that you have to read. It's totally different. It's a weird, it, for me, it's a place where technology really is a deficit. Yeah. It's, uh, it's weird. It's two things. One, detriment, I think right. people don't see books as a piece of technology, but they actually are. It's a very yeah. it, like most people don't pick up a physical book and say like, oh, this is so broken and inefficient. The only like the only problem with books as a technology is that it's hard to have a lot of them at one time. Right. Right. And so the Kindle definitely solves that. But unlike like an iPod or something, I don't think we necessarily need to have lots of books with us at one time, the way it's much more convenient to have lots of music with you at one time. Right. Um, and then two, um, like last year, so usually I have like an Amazon wish list and I just buy like the next book that I want to read whenever I'm ready. Well, at the end of the year, I was like, oh, like I get to write books, books off on my taxes. I'm just going to buy all the books that I've wanted for a long time um, that I've had on this wish list. And so I bought them and there's a shelf in my garage where I have all the books. Uh -huh. And I've actually found that I've been reading less since I did that because there's less like excitement about like whatever the next book is because I just have this endless stack in the garage. And so I probably won't do that again. And I also realized that a big reason that these books were on my wish list and I hadn't read them yet was because I wasn't actually that interested in buying them. Uh-huh. Um, so it's like I have this big, you know, book of or shelf of B-side books that I don't really care about in the garage that I paid for that I can't drag myself to read. So <laughs> it's like I think being on the shelf matters, but I also think like getting the next thing and sort of having that visible sign of progress is motivational for me. So and, and well, first of all, do you know Daily Lit? Uh, no. Okay, so Daily Lit is the one piece of technology that I've been able to use actually to help me with this. And so for nonfiction, I'm good. Like I can read nonfiction really well and, and get through it. And um, your book was really easy to read actually and, and kind of flew through it. But fiction, which I think is important to read totally. mentally, but I never, I just can't, I could not right. do it. So Daily Lit, uh, basically they have, I think 80,000 books on there and most of them are, uh, you know, public domain stuff. And that's how I'm reading um, 
around the world in 80 days. Yeah. Sends you an email every day with between two and five pages, essentially your choice. And it's amazing, basically. So I've gone 64 days, you know, every day reading a a, a very small passage of the book and I'm almost done. Uh, And it's it's amazing. It's really amazing because, first of all, I'm never going to be able to justify to myself not spending, you know, the 10 minutes to read that one email. And I just won't delete it from my inbox. And I have inbox zero and I will not delete that email until I've read it. Interesting. By the way, speaking of Around the World in 80 Days, I read a book recently, and it may have been called Around the World in 80 Days, but it's about Nellie Bly, the female journalist who was the first person to actually go around the world in 80 days. Uh-huh. Um, and she did it in the late, like early 1900s, I think. She met Jules Verne on the trip, uh, but it's wow. really, really interesting. Um, she was a, a famous newspaper correspondent. She's the one who she... Um, she pretended she was insane and she got committed to a mental institute, like the terrible mental institution in New York City. Uh-huh. It's really, really interesting. And actually, two female journalists at the same time attempted to beat the record. Um, one of them did it like 83 days and one of them did it in like 79 days or something like that. But it's really interesting. Oh, yeah. No, that's very cool. So how, how do you sort of choose what you want to read and, and what is that mixture of sort of fiction, nonfiction, like? Yeah, so I have a, a like an Amazon wish list that I you know I check out. Obviously, I have this stupid shelf in my garage, um, but uh, I usually try to read like a book. I try to sort of connect the books by reading like one thing and then try to read something related to that thing. Okay. Um, but it all depends. Like obviously, when I was researching the Stoicism book, I was reading books more or less around the same sort of themes, like things that I thought would fill holes in the in the project that I was working on. But then also understanding that when you read, you know, random stuff, it, you know, my I open Trust Me, I'm Lying with a quote from Ender's Game, uh, which I never read until I was probably 80% done with Trust Me, I'm Lying. And I read this quote and I was like, oh, wow, this is perfect. This is exactly what I'm talking about. How can I put this in the book? So right. like, I sort of, see it as like you have this framework or this thing that you're studying and then how can you introduce serendipity into that system by pursuing random unrelated things that you're interested in and then when you're when you're really zeroed in an idea you can see connections to that idea in just about anything yeah it's it's really fascinating to me how often i see a connection to something i've recently read to what i end up writing or even in the podcast i mean just yeah. this example of eight around the world in 80 days like that's it's totally relevant to what we're talking right. about so it's yeah um so and when you're reading do you have i mean is there like uh sort of a mode you like to get into is there you know do you have to have like a cup of tea or like what well, you know how do you no, how do you get really, into that mode? i try to do it anywhere if i'm in right. a car or i'm you know on a plane or whatever i i like to listen to music um uh, but i usually listen to like a playlist of like one song or like five songs like just over and over again like i like to have silence but you know like noise han- canceling headphones don't really work as just silence so if i can turn on music that becomes background noise like really quickly that right. tends to be pretty effective for me and are you a pretty fast reader not not super fast like i i'm i think i'm probably faster than normal but like most people think that i'm like some sort of speed reader but i'm really not i just read a lot okay so uh with, I, i'm not gonna be mundane and ask you what your favorite yeah. book is because there's so many but uh just as with uh i'm sure you're familiar with the ben franklin effect right yeah uh-huh 
Okay, so is there a special book that you have that is like your pride and joy? Um, there wouldn't be like there wouldn't be one book that I have like. So my thing is I don't loan books out to people. Um, okay. I borrow books and then keep them, uh, but I don't, <laughs> I don't loan them to people. Um, I have. You know, someone gave me a signed copy of What Makes Sammy Run, which is one of my favorite books, like a first ed- signed edition that I have. And I have a couple really old copies of the meditations. Like I have one copy from like the 1850s and oh, maybe wow. one that's a little older than that that are like really old and and like special. But other than that, like I I tend to treat books like really poorly. Like I read this <laughs> um, I read uh, Count Belisarius about the the Roman the Byzantine Roman general, and I'm I'm reading this book, and I I bought it for like a dollar on Amazon or whatever, and I'm reading it, and I'm taking notes in it, and I'm folding the pages, and I get about halfway through, and this piece of paper falls out, and it turns out that I'd been given a pristine 1933 review edition of the book that had never been opened, uh, and I don't know if it was worth anything, but it was like. It was weird. It's like, here's a book that's like pre-World War II um, that that had been sent to newspaper reporters for them to review it pre-publication. And like, I'm, I've already ruined it. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> but that like, to me, the book is more valuable the, to have notes in it than yeah. it is, you know, in perfect, pristine condition. Right. I mean, I guess that's a little bit of the journey of it, too. Uh, totally in the process yeah so okay so now does the there's a note cards and everything that sort of extends to everything obviously it's not just your notes with books so how do you i mean i i've seen a couple pictures like in the life yeah. thing about how you work how how do you actually organize it i mean i know um, you have the boxes but yeah you want me to grab one of the boxes yeah sure please <laughs> if give people more reason to to watch the video yeah so here this is this is the one for the obstacle is the way so it says the obstacle is the way on it and then, so this is actually a thing that's supposed to hold like photos. Um, okay. But basically, if you remember, so the book is an intro, a conclusion, and then three parts. So right. each one of the parts, well, each one of the parts has two sections, but basically like, you know, these are the note cards from part one. Okay. So each each section has... Yeah, like each hold it up a little bit higher each each section or actually yeah so like here is all the different chapters that are in okay. part one and then each one of those parts has a file folder like so here's part two and you can see on there what they say so this one says persistence this one says pragmatism um, each one of the tabs is all the cards that I would need for that specific section. So like I have a section on in the will part on the art of acquiescence, which is all these note cards, which you can see. So when I was writing that section, I just took these cards with me where I was writing or if I was writing at home, obviously I just took them out, but I would just travel around with those cards and take out they, they, it has all the pieces that I need to write those chapters. And see, this is amazing to me because, and actually it illustrates something important to me and my audience in general, which is that I have methodologies that I teach people and, and frameworks that I like people to use to do this stuff. And, and personally, I could never do it that way because it just wouldn't work for me. But what sure. I'm always telling people is that if you have a system that works, no matter how archaic or different it may seem, 
please stick with that system. You know, and this system is clearly working really, really well for you because the it's just so the information that you put out is obviously very well researched and organized. Um, I would yeah. be afraid of losing stuff. Yeah. So I got um, I learned this from Robert Greene. And this is sort of my version of that system. More, It's very similar. I, I obviously, like if you look at his note cards, they're like covered in text. Like mine tend to be like just a couple words. Right. Um, so it's mine's more like reference oriented where his is more sort of totally self-sufficient. Um, but then, yeah, I, I'm petrified about losing it. So I just bought, I have it in the other room. I bought like this scanner and I'm going to scan all the cards and have like a digital archive of them. Right now, I keep them in a fireproof safe in my garage when I'm not at home. You should use the uh, the LiveScribe pen. You know, have you seen that? No. The LiveScribe, uh, it connects with Evernote, it connects with a whole bunch of things, but basically it's a normal pen. It's a little thicker, but you write with it as normal and it records whatever you're writing uh, digitally. Yes. I'm writing this down. <laughs> so you could kill two birds with one stone that way, the LiveScribe. Yeah, and I'm, I'm putting it on a note card. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the, uh, last question here, which yeah. I, I, I know you've answered before, but I'm, I, I always love these, is that what are your top three personal tips for being more effective? Um, I think commitments are very important to being effective, like public commitments in some way. Like if you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this, that's very different than, or even just talking about doing it, then like, like part of the reason that I work with traditional publishers, it's not a major part, but it's a big part. If you sign a contract for a book, you have to deliver that book at a date, <laughs> you know? And you've already taken the money for it. So like what I see with self-published authors all the time is like the the release date's always getting pushed back because they have that luxury. So I think that's important. Um, I think physical exercise is very important, like strenuous physical exercise, because it's a metaphor for hard work and success. Mm -hmm. And it can also be a way to sort of create momentum that you put back in in your work. Um, I don't know what the the last one would be. I think sleep is important and underrated. Um, yeah, so maybe I would say exercise, sleep, and uh, you know, and commitments, uh, unalterable commitments to deadlines. I think that's really good. I, I, I like all of those, but I, I have to push you a little bit more than on the sleep one. So obviously, yeah. sleep is important. But what is your sort of sleep philosophy? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not it's not like some science or whatever. I don't use any of those devices. I just actually sleep like at least seven to eight hours every night. Oh, okay. okay. And, I, and I don't like, I'm not like, I've never pulled an all nighter in my life because I plan and I just don't let that happen. You know what I mean? Like, I think right. people tend to see sleep as being this like reserve that they can draw from. It's like, Hey, I, yeah. you know, I procrastinated. So now I have to stay up late to work on this project. Like I don't do that. Like sleep is, a thing that I do every day and it's not, it's not negotiable. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, so th right. that's sort of my approach to it. Okay. Uh, well, that's great. Those are really great tips. And, and Ryan, you know, we're going to have links in the show notes, and everything, but what is the best place for people to find out more about you and, and the book and everything? Yeah. So the book is the obstacle is the way it's for sale everywhere. I think it's like three ninety nine on Amazon right now, which is cool. Uh, my website's ryanholiday.net and, uh, I'm Ryan holiday on Twitter. Hey, great. Well, thank you so much. It was really great talking to you. Yeah, awesome. This was fun.